Welcome to the Show Me Institute podcast. I'm Zach Lawhorn from Show Me Opportunity, and today I'm joined by Elias Chapellis, David Stokes, and Susan Pennegrass from Show Me Institute. David, special taxing districts have been making national headlines. The, uh, that's something you didn't don't expect to hear every day. That's right. The uh, Florida legislature over the last few weeks have made some changes to the independent district in which Disney exists in. So can you kind of give us uh, just a broad overview of what the situation is in Florida and then bring it to the show me state? And what do you think it means for uh, one of your areas of focus? And that's taxing districts. Special taxing districts, of course. Well, this is this is very interesting. In Florida, due to the the for whatever reason the culture wars the and and so on uh, the, the the legislature is upset and at Disney and what is trying to remove the authority for the Reedy Creek Special Taxing District or the Reedy Creek Improvement District I the exact latter phrasing I forget but it's Reedy Creek and that is essentially a, a special taxing district that grants the Disney Corporation and I think a few other property owners an enormous amount of authority over the area that includes uh, Disney, Disneyland. Uh, is that Disney World or Disneyland in Florida? I can never remember. I think, I think it's world, world is Florida, land, California, so yeah. Disney World, and some other some other you know I'm sure Epcot and the the like. So and so Disney has an enormous amount of authority of authority to do what Disney wants to do inside that Reedy Creek special uh, taxing district. It's for you know water reclamation, uh, land use planning, uh, many other things, and they fund roads. I mean, do you think those trams are free? You know, tram tourist trams cost money. Um, so uh, you know they so they just get to sort of plan and approve these things all just on Disney. That's they run this whole. Reedy Creek Special Taxing District themselves, and until until the last couple of weeks, I would imagine most people, even in the Greater Orlando area, had never heard the term of Reedy Creek uh, Special Taxing District or the like. But you know, they've gotten a lot of attention now, and we have a lot of special taxing districts in Missouri. Uh, now we don't have anything anywhere near the size and importance of of Reedy Creek. Basically, governing it's serving as sort of an unofficial government. For, for Disney for Disney World there in in Orlando, and and uh, we don't have anything like that here, but we do have a number of them. In, in fact, according to the Census of Governments, which came out most recently in 2017, Missouri has the fifth most special taxing districts of any state, uh, with uh, 1,897, according to that governmental census at the time. It's certainly much higher now. Because if you follow the Show Me Institute, you know that community improvement districts and transportation development district, we pass these. I mean, a new one of these is passed weekly in, in Missouri, all around, around the state. So we're probably significantly higher than that now. So we use, we use special taxing districts with tremendous frequency in the state of Missouri. And far too frequently, in, in my opinion, in, and in the opinion of the bulk of the research at Show Me Institute, where most of these special taxing districts, especially community improvement districts and transportation development districts, of which we have, as of the most recent count, it's probably higher now, 497 SIDS and 224 TDDs, and again, higher now. These districts essentially serve as a way to siphon money from the the consumers and taxpayers uh, toward, and move it in the direction of corporate welfare towards developers. That's what they're essentially used for in Missouri, especially the TDDs and the CIDs. Uh, we also, of course, have hundreds of fire protection districts, 
111, I believe, ambulance service districts, uh, a couple hundred special road districts. Those are special. Those are examples of special taxing districts that are not corporate welfare heavy. But the fact is the growing parts of special taxing districts in Missouri are essentially excuses for corporate welfare. They've been criticized in audit after audit at the, by the state auditors of both parties going back for 20 years. They were criticized by the Kansas City auditor in an audit they recently did about Kansas City special taxing districts. Uh, they've been subject to criticism around the state, and certainly at Show Me Institute, we've done a lot of work demonstrating their harms. So whether the Reedy Creek special taxing district in Florida, whether that is an example of corporate welfare run amok or a, an example of a responsibly done special taxing district that's sort of a libertarian utopia, I don't know if it's one or the other or something in the middle, but I do know that in Missouri, uh, this type of attention to special taxing districts is good to see because we absolutely need serious reforms to, to the ease of the ability to institute new special taxing districts in this state. And we need major, major reform on, on many of them. And do you think a national story like this will spur kind of new attention on special taxing districts and it will have Missouri and other states maybe reexamining their relationship with those districts? Well, I hope so. There are bills in Jefferson City this year that we've testified in favor of from Senator Andrew Koenig, uh, making some reforms to community improvement districts and transportation development districts, requiring that more of their that information become more readily available to the public, uh, making some other changes to them remains to be seen. I think we're going to get in later in this podcast to the current situation in Jefferson City. So whether these things pass or not, they are examples of reforms that we're currently seeing now. And with this special taxing district discussion around the country, if that helps move Senator Koenig and other bills forward, I think that would be that would be terrific. If that helps bring more attention to what the Kansas City Auditor uh, published uh, several months ago about the abuse of SIDS and TDDs in Kansas City, I think that would be fabulous as, as well because it just gets passed quietly in so many instances with very little public attention, and it then just becomes a new tax that people pay that they hardly ever know they're even paying, which then just goes to, goes to fund things that until about 15 years ago – uh, businesses and developers were expected to just fund themselves, and now we've figured out a way, unfortunately, to turn many of these expenses into surreptitious taxes, and that needs to be changed. Well, I think with uh, um, this Reedy Creek specifically, that uh, there will be a ton of attention that will come out if it is actually dissolved. So the um, the bill in Florida won't dissolve this taxing district until 2023. But what Florida residents will be figuring out if this uh, district is dissolved is that the property taxes in Orange County and another county around there in Orlando will be going up um, a ton. And so one of the issues with these special taxing districts is that they are allowed to take on debt. And so as soon as they can function as these governments without you know voter input, they take on debt. And then if they get in trouble, if they dissolve like this Reedy Creek one would, the people in the county that the special taxing district was in will be on the hook for paying those. And so that's what you'd be seeing in Florida. That's something that you could technically see in um, Missouri. And so there are things that people, you know, as soon as taxpayers, you know, start paying more because this thing that they never weighed in on is uh, impacting their life, I think you'll get a ton of attention on these things. And so that that's possibly one of the good things that comes out of the Florida situation. And we've had examples of failed 
special taxing districts in Missouri where the average taxpayer did have to start footing the bill for this. Nothing to the level of which might happen down in Orlando if if suddenly all the debt for Disney and Reedy Creek becomes general debt to the, the people of those counties and cities. Uh, that would dwarf this. But we've seen, you know, failed neighborhood improvement districts in Greene County, the Lake Lottawana Community Improvement District in Jackson County, the St. Louis Marketplace TIF, and perhaps most egregiously, the Bass Pro TIF and Independence were all, those just four uh, failed special taxing districts where, to varying degrees, general taxpayers ended up on the hook for, for some of that money, which was supposed to be taken over entirely by the private special taxing district. And it's just, it's just those are some local examples of, of failed special taxing districts that are more reasons for further reform here in, in Missouri. But how, how this plays out in Orlando is going to be interesting. I'm not sure that the governor is actually going to sign this bill in, in, in Florida as they figure out over the coming days exactly what type of a tax increase they might be hoisting upon the people of, of those communities. They may have second thoughts before the, the ink gets set to the paper. So during your uh, career fighting against special taxing districts, you've heard a lot of justifications, a lot of developers and communities um, preaching the benefits of special taxing districts. You mentioned that maybe this Reedy Creek could be a libertarian utopia. What do you think about that argument for special taxing districts? Districts. I'm thinking of recently we talked about a uh, district in Springfield that's bringing in a Bucky's, and Bucky's is going to have to build some infrastructure. And so, what do you think about that end of the? argument going to the uh, extreme end of the spectrum where a business comes in and they say, hey, we want our own independent district, but we're going to pay for all the infrastructure and we're, we're going to get to do what we want, but we're going to cover the costs. Well, you know, historically in Missouri, particularly in where we're sort of located around the central west part of St. Louis, you know, we had a historic, we have examples of that where developers and new new subdivisions were built. I mean, we look out our windows and we're surrounded by them, where it was entirely privately done by the developers at the beginning of late 1800s, first, half, first part of the 20th century and into the 20th century, where developers would build neighborhoods with private streets. I live on a private street in University City. We, we the people in the house, the ho- people in the homes, pay for the neighborhood streets. Uh, private sewers, uh, private security often provided then and now. They have police services now, but uh, they're often augmented by private security. Uh, used to be private sewers. That's changed. And there's probably some more examples. So we had, we haven't had even more examples where entire living arrangements were entirely private, almost entirely privately built, with the public infrastructure playing a very small role, if any, in a lot of these neighborhoods when they were first created. Over time, that model is sort of fallen out of out of favor. Although for places it it we still have plenty of private streets in the Central West End, Clayton, U City, it's etc. The larger model, like would something like Reedy Creek work in in Missouri? Uh, I would be perfectly happy for somebody to try it, but I would want to see, you know, the risk the risk and the reward taken off, and that's not what you have with the special tax taxing districts for SIDS or community improvement districts or the like. You have you have subsidies in these in these areas where general taxpayers are are on the somehow, some way, whether it's the taxes that the consumers pay that they have no idea they're paying, like those quiet little sales taxes that shouldn't be there, or the like, uh, 
I can see this working in certain instances, but you have to have the risk and the reward. You might say that examples like the St. Louis Downtown Community Improvement District, which is a property tax that the people who live and work downtown vote on, that that could be something like this. I would say the failures of that SID, uh, as evidenced by the lawsuits ongoing of the residents alike, would show that that has not worked. It didn't go nearly far enough. I mean, there's still, in downtown St. Louis, you're still paying enormous taxes to get government services that aren't really working, and then you're choosing to tax yourself a little bit more to buy a few more government services. That's not a model that I think would work. Could something be, like Silver Dollar City 2 in a, in a, you know, in Warren County uh, that wants to do it all with one giant special taxing district? I, I would not be opposed to allowing something like that to, to go forward, but you have to have the risk and the reward and totally remove any subsidy for it to work, in my opinion. Or to be fair, in my opinion. Yeah, the the thing with the Florida example is that it spans multiple counties and, you know, multiple towns and stuff. And so one of the things you see with, you know, more um, kind of advanced developments where you're, you know, maybe dealing with a lot of zoning laws, a lot of infrastructure, a lot of things like that, getting counties and city, you know, rules and laws, zoning, you know, getting everyone on board for, you know, new ideas, I think is sort of difficult. So an idea of this, you know, libertarian type setup where, you know, that makes it easier for someone that's trying to develop something that crosses jurisdictions, I think is a good idea. But you're right, David, as long as as long as there's going to be the um, reward, there's got to be some risk there because you can't be having a, uh, you know, build this development, you can tax, you can raise taxes to pay for it. But as soon as they start, they take on $2 million of debt, you know, some amount of millions of dollars of debt, and then it fails. And then everyone in those counties is on the hook because I think in Florida, people are thinking about maybe um, increased property taxes of over $2,000. I mean, I don't, I don't think any Missourians would stand for that. Well, Elias, an idea that is advancing, it seems, in Jefferson City, I believe the bill moved out of the House last week, um, is this uh, $500 tax credit bill that uh, moved out. So, uh, should Missourians be waiting by their mailboxes for their $500 <laughs> stimulus checks? I mean, I I personally hope so. Um, it's kind of a symptom of there's just too much money in Jefferson City right now. So, you know, what should they what should they be doing with it? Um, I think there's a lot of confusion though about um, whether this is going to happen, and if it does happen, what will this tax rebate uh, technically be? And so the House is trying to include this $500 dollar um, non-refundable income tax credit for individuals or a thousand dollars for um, couples they're trying to include that in the budget and so what they're what they're doing the uh, Senate uh, the house finished their portion of the budget the Senate is currently working on the budget and they're basically saying Missouri has so much general revenue so this is something that is mostly made up of our income taxes our sales taxes majority income taxes we have so much um, income tax in Jefferson City that they don't have good places to spend it. So give it back to taxpayers, which I generally think is, um, which I think is a good idea. The um, the question in Jefferson City is if the Senate's going to, you know, go along with the House's plan because it's a non-refundable tax credit. So that means that if you didn't pay any income tax uh, this past year, you won't be getting any sort of benefit here. Um, it also means that legislators can't fund, you know, a variety of 
pet projects. You know, there, there are tons of places that the legislature could throw money around. I personally prefer the idea of giving it back to taxpayers. And um, it also will, you know, if this tax rebate does come to be, there will also be a lot of questions about how it's even uh, going to happen. So say the Senate goes on board with it, you did pay some income tax. Um, then the question becomes, well, how much are you actually going to get? And what is it actually going to mean? What the bill currently looks like is that if you pay taxes in 2021, so presumably you've already um, you know, filed your taxes for 2021, the tax uh, filing deadline's already passed, and then uh, the Department of Revenue will go through and look. And if you're an individual and you paid um, anything less than $500 in income taxes, you will get that lower amount as a uh, credit. If you paid more than $500, you will get $500 as a refund. And if, uh, you know, it would scale up like that to a couple. But there's one uh, additional caveat with that, which is that the legislature is trying to spend a billion dollars on this. Uh, they're, they're agreeing to spend a specific total. So that means that if there are more people that would qualify, the uh, refund amount would be dropping. So the, the amount of the credit could drop. So there's a lot of questions. Um, I look forward to see what happens this week. And just as a healthy reminder to what what Elias just mentioned on our podcast, if you haven't paid your 2021 Missouri income (laughs) taxes yet, you might, you might want to get on filing those documents and sending in anything you may owe. Uh, So on this podcast, we've talked about all this stimulus money and ways to get it back to the taxpayers of Missouri. Uh, We've talked about a gas tax holiday. We've talked about maybe uh, firing some triggers so that the income tax is reduced. David, what do we think about this as a mechanism to uh, get money back in the hands of Missourians? Well, it it is a good idea. I certainly prefer it to a a gas tax holiday. But I think as as our chief economist, Aaron Hedlund, was, was sort of proposing... And maybe it was just conversation around the office. You know, it's still, it's still going to miss some Missourians who, who might work part time. They don't work enough to, or their income tax owed is so small. They're only going to be get, getting a very small amount of money back, if anything. So maybe, maybe just a general sales tax holiday. Take the standard, maybe maybe all or a portion of the state's standard three percent sales tax, leaving aside the the other ones for now. The general one, maybe that would be a nice way to do this to really include everybody, everybody. Or or I don't know. Maybe maybe the income tax combined with a gas tax holiday for a few months is a way to reach to reach everybody because at least a lot of those people who aren't paying income tax at least. At least many of them probably at least spend something on gases. I don't know. I my personal preference is something that includes ev- as many people as possible. Yeah, I, w- I would just add that th- this thing, this tax rebate idea, is less of a um, you know economic recovery tool and more that um, our state government has more money than they know what to do with. This is not presumably not a um, long-term issues. So they're trying to spend a specific amount of money. They have a specific amount of money more than they know how to spend. They, in that case, it makes sense to give it back to taxpayers, but this isn't a long-term thing. So, you know, you hear people throw around, well, you know, use that money to, um, you know, insert other project or something that could be some sort of long-term cost. This is a rebate of mostly income taxes, 
which, you know, the show me suit talks about a lot. It'd be much better to, you know, lower taxes, but we don't know if Missouri's revenues are going to stay this high for years to come. So this is sort of a one-time, one-time excess, uh, surplus of funds, give it back to the taxpayers. They know how to use it best. And then, you know, if this type of excess continues in the years to come, you know, then start looking at rate reductions, look at other things like that. But this, I don't really think the legislature in this budget making process is considering this as much of a, you know, a stimulus type thing as it is who paid the most in terms of this pot of money that there's too much of. Let's give it back to the people that know how to spend it best. And let's learn the fundamental lesson that remind ourselves over and over and over is state and local governments are still trying to decide how to spend this money that was sent on an emergency basis to save the economy uh, over a year ago now, passed by the federal government as the third or fourth, whatever it was, part of stimulus package after the CARES Act and after ARPA. And, well, this is much of ARPA. But let's just remind ourselves that this money is not needed to save our economy now past the pandemic. The economy has, has largely recovered, and now we're just spending money for the sake of spending money and driving inflation further and further. All right, and Susan, the other area that there's been uh, some movement on in Jefferson City is education. So there's a few weeks left in the session. Uh, what's the latest on education? Yeah, I think every year we expect some movement within education. We've had steady movement of a few school or a couple of school choice bills this session. One that would basically just fix the funding for charter schools. I've been talking about this a lot and on the radio and in, and in blogs. Uh, basically, the... Um, Kansas City Public Schools has to turn over all of their state funding to the charter school. So they get no state funding and they don't even have enough state funding to pay for all the charter school students. So it fixes that. Um, and there's also a bill that makes it easier for students to enroll as full-time virtual students, which is very important these days. But then we have this bill coming through, it's gone through the house and it's in the, just kidding, it's gone through the Senate, it's in the house. And this is one of those bills that seems to have gotten kind of everything thrown into it, which is very typical at the end of the legislative session. This is a hundred page bill. It has everything in it from um, changing most of the laws around spanking, uh, designating a week in April as uh, Missouri Holocaust Education Week and capitalizing the word Holocaust throughout the RISMO, the uh, revised statutes. Um, it has... It has some school finance provisions in it. Here, I'm just gonna give you an example since people talk about how the sausage, sausage is made. This is what we're dealing with. Um, it talks about school districts that uh, cross county borders and which, um, which cost of living adjustment it should use. And there's several paragraphs like this, but it's for any district located in one county with headquarters in another city with more than 2,000 700, but fewer than 3,000 inhabitants in a county with more than 14,000, but fewer than 15,700. I assume that there's a whole bunch of this targeted at particular counties and districts. Tons of that. Also, um, every year, Missouri, this DESE, Department of Elementary Secondary Education, uh, is required to determine the lowest 5% of all schools in the state and the lowest 5% of schools serving mostly low-income students. Those lists are called the targeted intervention, the comprehensive intervention. They're hard to find. I have looked for them to publish them on our most school rankings website. They're difficult to find. This bill would require the schools on that list to send a letter home to parents to mail it to their house, 
notifying them that their child goes to one of those schools and to put it on the website and to make DESE's determination of that list more clear. There are several provisions around school boards that parents can ask to have something on a school board agenda, that parents can dispute school board redistricting of schools, which is often a very contentious thing. There is a thing about including parents on um, a students with disability, a student with disabilities uh, individual education plan where parents have to consent and sign their consent, everything in there. And then a lot around early literacy, which is a priority for us, like making sure that kids can read before they get moved from third to fourth or fourth to fifth grade. Uh, reading is very fundamental to being able to learn anything else. And something called this thing that I've seen pop up in different bills, which is enhanced learning opportunities, which is to say, this is a very important thing that I hope stays. If, you know, if your child is doing an internship or an apprenticeship, they can get actual course credit for it. If they go to a boys and girls club and they're doing a play, they could count that as a drama class. Um, basically districts have to publish certified lists of these, or you can apply to get this type of ex, uh, enhanced learning opportunity credit, but it would help students who are doing work outside the school system to get credit for it. And then finally, there's this innovation team uh, idea in here and in a couple other bills where multiple districts or one districts can apply to get a waiver to have an innovation team, basically consisting of, it seems to be teachers mostly, and they can uh, be waived from certain laws and have the uh, ability to work on things like alternative pathways for kids to become college or career ready, which I love, but also uh, how to pay teachers more. It's basically like you can have an innovation team to figure out ways to pay teachers more is, is one of the things. So again, it's a hundred pages. There's tons of stuff in here. It concerns me a little bit from a good governance point of view, because, um, a bunch of stuff will just sort of get caught up in the coattails of this and passed with, you know, uh, hopefully the legislators voting for or against it, look at it carefully, but we'll see what happens. This one has a good chance. Also, there is a parent bill of rights moving that's passed through the House and is now at the Senate. Uh, so we'll see how that does. Um, and it looks like open enrollment is dead. And... I think that, oh, this does have a little bit of curriculum transparency in it, in that every school district has to review curriculum no uh, no less than every five years, and that it has to be done openly at a published meeting, and that uh, parents can attend or be part of the committee that selects and reviews curriculum. So a little bit of that uh, curriculum transparency in here. So a little bit of everything. So keeping in um, mind our experience uh, with the sessions so far and the infighting and um, the disagreements. Doesn't a, a Christmas tree omnibus bill, doesn't that seem like a heavy lift uh, for a legislature that is operating like we think it should be? And with this legislature, I don't know, and Elias and Dave, I'm curious on everyone's thoughts on this. Doesn't the more you put in and a hundred page bill, doesn't that just seem like an impossibility at this point? No, because um, it's a little bit of something for everyone and it's all over the map, right? So um, it has a lot on dyslexia. I mean, it has a little bit for everybody. So so you think, think that, that will outweigh, uh, uh, so everyone gets something is enough to outweigh there being yeah. dozens of things for everyone to object to. What I've heard anecdotally, so don't hold me to it, is 
Some senators simply will not pass bills of other senators. The Senate won't pass bills that come from the House. I mean, there's a lot of, as you mentioned, um, personal, taking things personally. And, uh, you know, it seems from the outsider's perspective that they are working more on their political careers sometimes than they are on the work that needs to be done for Missouri citizens. But I do think when you throw one of these things together, and again, there's a ton of stuff in here, um, it then it seems like if I want one or two of the things in here, then I'm going to vote for it and I'll just hold my nose on the other things. And I think that that's what ends up happening. And I think generally, like my experience has been over the last three or four years is as soon as a session is closed, I go back and pull these omnibus, Chris, as you said, Christmas morning things out and try to see everything that's in it and detail it because a lot of things just are, will just get moved along. And, um, you know, the, the governor will sign it or not, but I suspect he will because there'll be so many, such a variety of things in here, but it's not the, it's not what I would consider to be good governance. The legislature or legislators should have priorities. They should file good bills. They should see them through. And when you get to the end and there's like, well, I really wanted this thing, let's throw it in here. Then it's to me, it uh, not uh, a, an example of good governance. Well, it will be a very interesting or not uh, last few weeks of the session. Um, Elias, what are you keeping track of over the next week? Well, the Senate should be passing the budget this week. So trying to figure out what goes on there, because that will mean uh, next Friday, the budget has to be passed by then. Um, and so there will be a conference committee where the House and the Senate kind of comes together and decides what will make it in or will be out of the budget. So that goes to the tax rebate idea. But also once they finish the budget, that should um, clear the floor for other uh, more important topics. I saw an interesting stat the other day that uh, so this year thus far, the legislature's only um, approved two bills. Last year, we were closer to 10 um, at this point in time. So not, not too many, but by the end of the session, they'd pass around 70. So if something like that is uh, what we're seeing again, you know, the, the pace of play in Jefferson city will be picking up um, tremendously. And frankly, checking through all the bills that I follow, it's very hard to know what's going to be stuck where, or what actually has um, too much momentum at this point in time. So it's going to be keeping up with uh, the personalities, keeping up with, um, you know, what, has traction, what's in the news, and hopefully hopefully we can have a productive last few weeks of the legislative session, but judging by how things have gone thus far, I'm not too optimistic. David, what are you watching? Just hoping that for the question of the production or lack thereof in Jefferson City, I, I certainly hope that there's a number of bad bills I'm following that I hope do not go anywhere. The bills about authorizing land banks in cities and counties around the state of Missouri, uh, new f tax credits for for films in Missouri, for entertainment studios oper operating in Missouri, brand new tax credits there, uh, terrible policy ideas. Uh, so I'm just hoping a lot of these things wither and, and die on the vine, and that would make for a lovely end of the session for, for me. And Susan. Well, I'm with Elias. I'm watching the uh, budget bills. Uh, one of the budget bills related to stimulus money does have uh, emergency scholarship money in it for parents called... Um, close the gaps scholarship. So I really hope that that happens. I'm watching that. And I'm also watching, we haven't really talked about it today, but the rollout of the uh, empowerment scholarship program. All right. Always plenty more at showmeinstitute.org. Elias, Dave, and Susan, thank you very much. Thank you.